Welcome to the Disrupt Education Podcast. We are going beyond the score in this series, and Ali Privet is my co-host, and I can't wait to tell you more about this episode. But before I do, head over to disrupteducation.co. It's a great place to check out what I'm doing. You can connect with me. Uh, you can also head over to edupexperience.com. I am a proud partner of the Ed Up Experience Podcast Network. So uh, there, there are so many different podcasts there around K through gray, uh, all different kinds of things that are happening there. Um, check that out, edupexperience.com. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. You'll get these on a weekly basis, all the podcasts that we do. And right now we're in an amazing podcast series called Going Beyond the Score, where Ali Privet and myself, Peter Hostross, we dive into the missed opportunities in education to really understand where our students' strengths lie. I got to tell you, this is one where we're going international on uh, this episode. Guess what? Pop quizzes don't work in Italy. As a matter of fact, they're frowned upon. How do I know that? Well, Ellie and I have a conversation with Britta Blansky. She's a former educator turned entrepreneur in Italy. And uh, we wanted to learn, Ali and I wanted to learn a little bit about different cultures in education. What What is it like outside the United States? And so Britta shares her experiences as she studied abroad and, um, and her teaching experiences in Italy. You're not going to want to miss this podcast. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. I spoke to Precious, who is a junior in high school, and she talked about her experiences with Spike View. Almost every day we get emails of students in our school getting accepted to different colleges, to different internships. And I feel like every school will want to see their student thrive and go to big universities and go to different um, opportunities, like different internships, apprenticeships and all that stuff. And Spike View is definitely an opportunity that teachers would take. Because it's a place where all the students can organize all their things, all their accomplishments they did in their life. And they can use this to build up their resume for college or internships, like I said before, to continue all the way into their senior year. And they have such a big bowl of all the things they've done in one place. So when it comes to the college application process, it's all there for them. And they can just all list it down and just be easier. Drop me a message here on the podcast or head over to spikeview.com to learn more about this incredible platform that's helping our youth own their learning journeys. Disrupt Education, we're here with a guest and my co-host, uh, the awesome Allie Privet. Allie, how are you? I'm a little sleep deprived, but otherwise uh, very good. Uh, my educational journey is just continuing all over the country. And sometimes when you travel, things don't go as planned, but that, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Roll well, with it. I'm going to like kind of clarify that for the audience because we're always talking, Allie's everywhere, which I love. Like I'm always here in Chicago area and Allie's like somewhere. And today you're kind of in a traveling gray area, which I'll just keep a, that there. Does that sound good? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, we have a wonderful guest. Uh, Britta's here. Allie, tell us who Britta is, and then we're going to chat with Britta about some international looks on on you know opportunities missed, going beyond the grade. But uh, Allie, who, who do we have with us today? Yeah, okay. So we're here in this series on um, connecting uh, the missed opportunities in academia to reality. And we really wanted to take the conversation abroad and really expand like our international perspective because Peter and I have been talking about that and like just things we've seen as issues here um, in the educational space. So looking at like, we don't want to pigeon our own, our own selves into this box of uh, looking only here in the US. Um, so found someone Britta, uh, who has an expansive uh, uh, background in international settings and kind of like what are what are the pieces that maybe we're not even seeing here in the U.S. or, or challenges abroad that maybe could help uh, everybody. So Britta has not only studied abroad since high school in various countries in Europe, um, 
in high school and in college, but then has also taught over eight years in Italy um, as an instructor. So we're very interested in your perspective here on kind of the international uh, scene of just possible silos in education or ways that we are missing missing opportunities. And so, Britta, if you want to tell us a little bit more about, you know, that journey and, you know, what you're doing now, uh, stage is yours. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Peter and Allie, for having me. It's a real pleasure to be on your podcast. So I hope these insights are something new for you guys and exciting and definitely some good food for thought. So, yeah, I'll just say a little bit about how my journey started abroad. It started by being dropped into an Italian classroom as a junior in high school. And that was a massive change for me. And the funny thing was before I left, they were like, okay, well, don't worry. Everyone always like succeeds in math because math is the universal language, wherever you are in the world, you're able to learn it. And that was not the case. I did not understand a single thing taught in that Italian high school math class. So it is not universal that it is taught very differently. And uh, to bring it kind of full circle as a teacher in an Italian high school, one of my students studied abroad in a high school in New York, and she came back and she said, math was approached completely differently. You don't just learn how to find the answer. But in Italy, we're taught why? Why do we want to learn this? And how are we going to approach this issue? And why does it matter? Whereas in my classroom in New York, they just wanted us to get to the answer and it didn't matter how you got it as long as it was correct. And I was like, boom, that's why I didn't understand anything because they were talking about theory and the why. <laughs> and that's why I didn't understand it. So um, I started studying abroad in high school and then carried that out through Wales, uh, the, um, Spain and Italy and a little bit in France, but that was really an American program, but really thrown into the direct university system. So I saw how they grade. Um, and I would say one of the biggest differences right away from the US education system compared to European, which European is very large scale, so we can't make a stereotype broadly across a continent, but was the oral aspect. So immediately there was a very big expectation that you come prepared and you um, speak and share orally one-on-one -on -one with a professor the material that you were supposed to have learned and prepared, which is very different from the written aspect that we often find in the States. There's a lot in there. Allie, like, I'm thinking right away, and thank you, Britta, for, for sharing that journey. Wow, the why, the one-on-one, -on -one, kind of the personal aspect um, of education and, and such. is So... I want to I want to go to a broader picture of schools, right? Um, do do schools serve a purpose differently in the areas of Europe that that you are in? Do you feel, or are they? What what is the purpose? Do you think school serves in Italy versus the U.S.? Is is there a difference there? I'm I'm just curious about that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's hard to answer because. As I realize growing now, you know, I, lo I, lo I no longer teach. I'm no longer um, in the high school system here in Italy. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and I own my own business. But as I am on that journey myself, I realized like I, I did not learn this in school. Why did I not learn this? Why was I not prepared? Why don't I know about like simple, simple basics like taxes? Like why aren't kids in high school learning how to do taxes? Now, maybe that's Maybe it's like, oh, that would be the worst class ever, or at least you know, like in home ec, instead of learning how to sew mittens or like bake cookies, then, you know, why didn't we learn how to like fill out our tax forms? But um, so I'm, I don't, that goes to the basis of like, I don't think the U.S. is doing a good job of serving its students anyway. But I also think there's a huge gap here as well, where it is, um, what I've noticed is school is really based on performance and short-term performance. Um, there's a huge, so as a student in Italian university, oftentimes you'd find on the curriculum that the professor has all the books that they have published. And why do they do that? So that all their students will buy their books. <laughs> right, like, okay, I'm also making money from my own, <laughs> from my own uh, writing. And there is, 
literally the concept that you memorize every period, comma, exclamation point, question mark, like the chapter headings. And it's extremely stressful. So it's not so much have I learned this and like acquired this information to make it my own or have I relearned, like have I learned it so that I can regurgitate it back to you and tell you what you want to hear. And I often find that in the high school space as well. Um, I would say even, even in middle school, there's this like really strong concept that the teacher comes in and I don't wanna say indoctrinate because that's a really strong word but they like indoctrinate the class on their perspective, on their subject, and it's the student's role to be able to share their perspective back to them. And there isn't a lot of room for diversity or questioning of that perspective, because if you haven't, like if you're not able to tell it back to the teacher, then you've misunderstood. And so this just goes back to say that I don't think it's equipping students. And so it's like, what is, like, what is the purpose of the classroom at that point? It's like really testing how good of a learner you are. And the interesting thing is that many students go to school until they're 19 or 20, whereas in the States you finish at 17 or 18. Like it's an anomaly if you finish at 19. And then in college and university, you can retake exams. So this like idea of failing, there like this isn't there isn't that pressure. Essentially it's like Okay, so the, the scoring in Italy is out of 30 and an 18 is a fail. So if you were like, well, I got a 25 and I'd really want like a 28 or I really want to get a 30, you can just say, I'm not accepting that mark and you can go back and take the exam again. The and exact this, same exam? Yeah, well, be with the same professor. Yeah, okay. and maybe like they would ask you different questions because it's not written, it's oral. So they would, you would show up and it would be a different type of conversation that you would have. Um, so again, it's like, what, what is that really teaching the student? You know, if you can't even fail and like there is no, and again, like we talk about, is it, you know, should students fail? Should you really be allowed to fail? Like, is that a better concept? But if the grading scale is how well can you repeat back to me what I've written in my book, <laughs> then like, why, why are you even attending university What's at that point? <laughs> What's really interesting about this is that it and maybe this is just like it, it could be it could be more objective, but it sounds like there's potentially room for a lot more subjectivity and or like whatever the the instructor decides is important. Right. You know, like is what we need to focus on. So my question is just for just everybody, anybody listening to this is like, where is the room, where is room for students to bring their interests and their ideas to the forefront? And this is something we've talked about on other episodes, like, right, like, where's the student agency to learn this outside of a grade, right, outside of a mark, outside of a, a number one through 30? Where does, where does that come from, from, from when you start school to now you're getting into your 20s? Like, that's a long formative time to be kind of on the, the back burner of this learning journey where you are just like, it's like you're taking it in, but like for what purpose, right? You, that's where my head is at. <laughs> I, am, I am a product of what you just described, Britta, about the indoctrination. I'll, I'll keep it there because I felt like some of my professors were, um, especially in undergrad, um, not so much in my master's degree, but um, I just knew how to play the game. I was just like, yeah, this is cool. You're awesome. <laughs> and, and I got good grades, but honestly, I didn't learn anything. I mean, I learned a few things. I mean, there were, not all my professors were like that, but there were a large amount, especially in the uh, basic courses or the whatever the, you know, the gen, gen ed pieces of college. Um, so that's that's very interesting. Um, you know, you mentioned the one-on-one -on -one kind of the orally kind of chats and and those types of things. What I would love to. What's so? How was that? Did, did you go through that like one-on-one -on -one, like conversations? And was it still kind of well, Britta, you have to agree with me in those conversations and in, in in outside of the United States or. I mean, that to me would be, number one, very intense because I don't think I was ever prepared to talk to an adult coming out of high school that much. I mean, we're 
hopefully starting to change that. And, and number two, like, I, you know, I really didn't read anything in college. <laughs> I made my way through it. And uh, but yeah, what, what was that like? From the perspective of being a student, I did at university sit down one on one with the professor and you and even today, I just think things have changed so, so much. Like I graduated college in 2011. So is that 11 years ago now? Mm-hmm. And a lot has changed, like even now today and, and things are different in Italy, but you walk into the professor's office by yourself one on one. So maybe like a male professor with a young female student, especially maybe if she is, you know, I'm a foreign student studying abroad. Like, I just don't know if that would be culturally accepted today in the States to be like, we're going to close right. the door, have us be in a, in a closed space together. No one else is here. Um, and that aspect wasn't so intimidating. It depends. I think as a foreign student, you do receive a lot of grace sometimes. You're like, oh, okay, like, you're so cute and sweet. Like, we're going to, you know, be kind to you and just see, like, oh, you're struggling in Italian. Okay. And it totally depends on who, who you get. The bigger struggle um, is in high school. So as the teacher, okay, so this is um, an interesting story. When, um, and this will come back around, so sorry, it's kind of a little bit. No, when everybody says this is an interesting story, I'm like, boom, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) let's go. So I was thrown into the classroom. I started out as the um, native language assistant in the classroom. So I was um, by, I came into the classroom with the head English teacher for that class. And one hour a week, I would lead the class in English so that they would have experience with a native speaker because it's very different, right, than what you would hear with your Italian teacher with their thick Italian accent. Um, after one year of doing that, they asked me to teach uh, geography CLIL, and CLIL is content language integrated learning. So I was essentially teaching the students English through the subject of geography, which is very interesting. Um, there's, so much, there's so much that you can go into this kind of uh, learning and teaching, it's it's not an easy task, uh, especially when you have a classroom of 25 students and some are almost native English speakers and some can barely put together a four word sentence, okay? Because it's not, English is not their first language. So I'm like, how, how do I grade these students across the board, right? And so um, I took on this role, I was super excited about it because it seemed like a step up from being the assistant to having my own class. And I actually taught all the first year students. So whatever, and the way the high school is divided up to is you choose uh, a tract and it's either language-based or science-based. So like, if you know, like you're not good at math and sciences, you would probably choose to study languages. And then you would study three foreign languages instead of just studying English, whereas all the students have to study English. So I had like all the students in the school in their first year. And um, at the very beginning, I taught based from my American experience because I was not, I had no sort of training for the Italian school system except for my own experience was what I had received really secondhand. And from my American experience, it's very normal to have pop quizzes, right? Like you walk into class, you're like, all right, let's see if these students were listening, if they were paying attention, the following lesson, you give them a very short quiz, right? I learned very quickly that that is not okay. You do not do that. Okay. These students are allowed to have three written exams a week and they can only have one per day. So the whole school, all the teachers coordinate to make sure that no one has a written test on the same day. And apparently a five to 10 question pop quiz falls into the category (laughs) of a written exam. I'm just like, you've got, I'm like, how, how can I, how can I measure if these students are following along in a different language where a pop quiz could consist of vocabulary, right? Maybe there were like 10 words that were new to them and 10 words is a lot. Like if you're learning 10 every lesson by the end of the week, you know, you have 50 new words. That's a lot of vocabulary (laughs) to learn and memorize and understand and write and be able to use, right? So I'm like, a pop quiz is a perfect way to also gauge, like, are they following along? Are they picking up on the vocabulary? Whether it's graded or not, right? But even just the concept of like, you can't do that because they, the students can't have too much to do. That's, you know, and it's a written thing and 
the parents need to know and the students need to study and prepare. <laughs> but you are allowed to do what we would call, because there's not a real good translation for this, oral interviews. So I could quote unquote interview you orally in front of the class with no, you know, no teachers needed to know, no parents needed to know, it didn't need to be prearranged or anything. But I would call on you as a student in front of all your classmates, and you would have to do the one-on-one -on -one oral presentation, interview, test, whatever you want to call it, with the teacher in front of your classmate. And that, I think, especially as a student, especially when you're like going through adolescence and you're a teenager, like <laughs> I don't see any problem with that. <laughs> no, yeah, like it's like how else that's really a way to test your knowledge if you under like not only is it like okay first i mean there's so many layers to this first i understand it second i under i understand it and can talk about it in a second language that's not my first language and third i'm not embarrassed or having anxiety or like panic attacks of speaking in front of my classmates and to the teacher in that other language um, so that was it, like, and this is where it was really hard too to measure someone's success because mm. I would have students because I, you know, what what was the role? What is the role of geography clue? Is it how good is your English? Because I'm not I'm not giving you a mark based on your grammar and pronunciation, but it's not solely the concepts of geography. Like I have to put them both together and be able to give you a grade based on how you're doing from the material that we've covered. And so I would have students who are dyslexic and are really poor in English, but yet they could like somehow communicate a very like thoughtful, insightful idea based on what we had talked about. And it's like, how do I give them a mark compared to the student who's like practically fluent, but doesn't study because they are <laughs> fluent in English and they can barely say anything and like explain why or, you know, give an example. And so, and then at the end of that, usually in the beginning of the year, you say the grade out loud in front of the whole class. So they have an understanding of how you grade, like how you mark, like how does she measure this? So Sounds this student performed like <laughs> there yeah, are so, this so is... <laughs> many layers to this. Yeah. This sounds like how you learned entrepreneurship, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Feel... yeah, like that student, you know, does their oral, their little oral pop quiz because you can't have it written. And then, you know, you don't do this all the time, but many teachers do throughout the whole year. Anytime anyone does an oral interview, if you want to call it that, an oral test. Um, they share the mark in front of the whole class. So the whole class can understand why that student got that mark. But it becomes tricky, right? As soon as you have a student who has a learning disability, and then you and then you have to make excuses and explain, but them, so and then you're like, well, what about me? And it's yeah, it gets so, it sounds like interesting how Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting how public that piece of it is. That would just not fly, obviously, like in the US. But to your question, Peter, about like, you know, how do it seems like students are like well prepared for the oral exam if that is the main modality in which they are assessed throughout. But like there's so many missed opportunities in that entire story that my mind is just like, where, where do we even start with that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like my first thought is like, OK, if I had to do that, right. I don't even know if I'd have enough time to build a class cultural, uh, a class environment, the class cultural, a safe place for everybody. And that takes time. That takes a lot of time, um, which I try to do in my courses here in the States. But it's it's difficult because I, I actually it's funny because I do teach taxes and entrepreneurship. So, oh, yes. so I am a business teacher, but like and I'm, you know, I'm privileged to do that because not every school has that, obviously. But um, but I, I have semester courses. So you're looking at like you know, you know, um, 18 weeks here and you have, you know, 25, 35 students in a classroom to do that. Wow. That's, that's my first layer to peel back. Like, how do you make it a safe place? How do you, I don't know. What, what layers were you thinking, Allie? You're like, okay, here's, there's so much. Yeah. I was really thinking about like, like I kind of hinted at this, this public nature of grading and having to yeah. defend it to adolescence and, and, and right. There is, 
so much that goes into a grade um, and that it's not just like you were talking about, Britta, like there are people that you have to consider the individual learner for, especially for a topic like English. And um, it seems like the way the grading system was or because of the forced nature to, to direct it towards these oral tests, that it leaves little room for students to showcase their learning in varied ways because of the constraints around the written exam and, and other ways to kind of assess them. And it forces students who are good in that particular modality to, to be successful. Um, and yeah, that, that's kind of what I was thinking about when you're talking through all of it. Yeah, well, to go to Peter's point first, one thing that's very different is students don't change classrooms. So you have a mm -hmm. class, like right. an elementary and so you're like in, you know, there's five years of high school and then there might be like five sections. So you're either in one A, one B, one C, et cetera. Um, and so they have time, I think as a class to really get to know each other. So they okay. spend seven hours with those same people unless they switch for, they have like one elective. <laughs> right. So otherwise they spend all day with each other. So that's where I think they, they really bond. So it's not just in my hour where I have to try to also, it's like I'm bringing together different students who maybe don't see each other during the day and they're only together in my hour, that that's not the case. So oh, okay. that, that helps, although it is also quite difficult as a teacher to walk into a classroom. And <laughs> now you're, you're not in their culture. <laughs> you're, I'm like walking into their space, yeah. which not it's not intimidating, but it's it's hard. They're not walking into my space, right? It's not my room. And so to me, walk into there and say, hey, like now you pay attention to me, sit down and listen. You know, it's it's it takes time and like authority and you really have to build up that respect. So not not so much the culture, but really like the respect towards the teacher. Right. And then to Ali's point, um, I'm thinking back to it because they were trying to create a standard on which to grade like every um, subject was meeting together. So all the teachers of history were meeting together, all the teachers of math. Uh, the English department were meeting together and trying to cut like they were tr the school in itself there right so there's no national like there is somewhat of a national standard of curriculum but not grading so the school itself was trying to create the standard but even then it's like you can't you can't create a standard that's the whole point right you can't because every student will be different and every year will be different and as culture changes and the generation like we're seeing a huge generational difference between our generation and the students currently in school, right? So it's impossible really, I think, to create a standard. When I was teaching, like I said before, it's like, what am I grading them on? Am I grading them on the geography concepts or am I grading them on their English ability? And at one point, someone, another colleague was like, you know, geography should really be about current events. And because I was doing um, human geography. So it was like, well, that's quite a big task to take on. That means my curriculum, <laughs> essentially, it's like, I don't have one, right? It's changing constantly because world events are constantly changing. But I did, I took this on um, because I, to Ali's point of like where there's no space for the student. And so what I did do is every time we studied something, instead of saying, this is what it is, I would say, okay, this is what it is, but why do we care? So anytime we had the written test, because it wasn't solely oral, like you would have two written tests per semester. And when there was a written test, there would always be a question that was like, based on the class discussions, because I would try to like get the students, right? Be like, why, why do you care? Why should we care? Why is this important? What can we learn about it? If we don't look at it or we don't talk about this or learn about it, what what's the consequence, right? So there would always be a question that was like, and it was just open-ended. So kind of, kind of like an essay without any structure yeah. <laughs> um, to really see you know, what What have they acquired themselves from our class discussions? And if you just remove the English, it's like, are they able to share something? And that's why I think it was really interesting because some students couldn't break out of the mold of this is what Miss Blansky had told me. And so therefore I have my own ideas. And then like they would come back and they'd be like, but I wrote exactly what you said. And I'm like, <laughs> Because I didn't, I didn't want to hear exactly what I said, right? Like, I wanted you to use your brain and think of your own ideas mm -hmm. of, like, what about you? Like, what do you think, you know? And so that was really interesting to the point of, like, having space. And then when you're given space, you don't know how to respond to it. 
because yeah. we haven't done it well yet. I feel that that's a worldwide challenge. I mean, I, I think I think uh, with the students that I have here in the States, again, the same thing. And, and Ali, I don't know if you saw it, but like, it's like, what do you want me to do? And it's, well, I mean, I want you to think about the, the subject at hand. How does it relate to you? And we start with the student. Um, and that kind of dives into, you know, the, the actual question about grading in general, which is starting to be the opportunity to put the student first, let the student actually, you know, work on that evaluation. How do we build a student to where when they are in their teens to actually have that conversation with you as the educator and say, well, here's what I think and have the guts and the, and the I mean, guts maybe isn't the greatest word, but I'm from Indiana. So that's why I said it, but like, it's, it's the, it's the, the movement to really say, you know what, I believe this way. But even if it's off or maybe not quite the same as somebody else in the classroom, there's a, there's a conversation. It's not either or. I don't know. What do you what do you think about that, Allie? What what are your thoughts around grading and, and student centering? It's interesting just hearing this this perspective of how different it could be. Um, and but that it seems like we haven't obviously talked about every single country though that it does seem like you said a worldwide issue to kind of like again what is the point of a grade how are we how are we really getting at the heart of learning rather than just like this regurgitation or you know exactly what you said Britta in terms of like you know I don't want to know what I said I want to know what you think about like not only what I said but what we discussed as a class and there's a richness there that is a, a, a continued missed opportunity I think in many educational settings where we aren't, we're still focused on that score. It's all about like this, this made up <laughs> like grading system, yeah. you know? And like, what is the point of that? Like, what is that teaching kids? Like, you know, to, to think beyond uh, a score and, and a grade. I just think there's so much opportunity for, for all educational systems to really dig deep into this work. And it was cool to hear that you, you know, before you left, they were starting to have this conversation, but it takes a long time to kind of tease that out. Like it goes back to some of the questions you mentioned earlier in the podcast, but it's like, what is the purpose of school? You know, like, what is the purpose of learning? Like, what is the purpose of a grade? Like all of that, like ties into this and it's, it's very nuanced. Um, and there's a lot more to it than I think the people who created these systems ever thought about when they were created. <laughs> yeah. That's very makes me think of two things. The first is, um, I remember I was studying in at the University of Santiago de Compostela in Spain, and it was a English class, and they were studying poetry, and I think we were reading like Keats or something. And again, there was a little bit of a dialogue going back and forth between the professor and the students, and the professor called on me because she recognized that I was, you know, a study abroad student. And then she says something like, because you're English, what do you think Keats meant by this phrase? I, I don't remember the poem or anything, but <laughs> it's the emotion that you feel, right? And I, I said what I thought he had meant by that. And her, her response was, no. <laughs> <laughs> you are not validated. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you and don't then know the like, English at all. <laughs> well, yeah, and I was like... I thought too, like being American or being English, like you would have known, like you should have known. Wow. I remember it was just like, like this moment of like so many feelings of like embarrassment, but also like shame and just shock of like, why was there no, like you didn't even ask why right. I thought that. And like having my, like <laughs> being a native English speaker, what is it from the English? that made me think that now I know when you like look at poetry, there's all sorts of, you know, books written about what people meant and, and whatnot, especially when it goes to the, the old poets like that, but just to be like, just shot down, like, no, that's wrong. Wow. Like, there's, there's no room for discussion. There's no possibility. And the other thing is now I don't know how they grade in elementary school, but my oldest son will now be going into second grade. And it's just really interesting to see how he's getting marked because they don't have grades. And I don't, does elementary school have grades in the US? 
Some of them do and some of them don't now. Like um, uh, when my students, I have a, a couple of teens and as they were going through, there were these like kind of stoplighty things, red, yellow, green and emerging and the grades is starting to and that that's around the Chicago area. I can't say that that's across the nation, but that's there, there are there there are school districts and whatnot, like where kids kindergartners get A, B, C, D or F. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, wow. that's First the thing. Period. Wow, kindergarten. That's, kindergarten. That's, wow. Yeah. So it's just interesting to see how he'll get a mark that's either like um, excellent or you know the generic. It's not good. Good isn't the word, but and then like satisfactory. Yeah, satisfactory. <laughs> um, teacher evaluations now. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, but what's this is where I struggle with the whole grading system, though, too, because as a parent, but I also, and, you know, my son, he, at this point, they don't have kindergarten in Italy, so it's his first year of school, and he could really care less. Like, he really, <laughs> like, he's just not academically motivated at this point. <laughs> and so he, he obviously isn't looking at it and trying to understand how well he's done. Um, he just gets, you know, when his classmate gets like a smiley face and like the exclamation mark, you know, he gets disappointed. Like, why did I only get a smiley face? And my friend John got, you know, confetti and all those sorts of things, you know, so there's already there's judge, you know, like mm -hmm. he's already evaluating and comparing himself, even though there's no letter mark. And then as a parent, I'm like, what does that even mean? I'm like, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, I have no way to judge what this very arbitrary, like, satisfactory, you know, word in his report card means. Like, I hope, did he get it? Is he lacking? Is he missing? And that's where I think you would need a lot more teacher-parent dialogue, whereas I, I don't know what the role of a parent should be in their child's education if you're not, like, if you choose to put your school, you know, your student in public school, or in private school and not homeschool, where does the role of the parent stop? Like, there needs to be better teacher-student dialogue to really explain, this is where you're lacking, this is where you're doing really well, this is where you could improve, you know? That's a, that's a whole nother series there. I love that. That Now, like, I think you just stunned us, right? We're just like... I know. Wow. Like, it's true, though, because I remember when, when we first started to get this it was almost in graphs and in our my daughter was she's younger so it just started to come through later in her uh, elementary years here in uh, Chicago and it was just like what what does this mean and we started you know but at least we had conversations at home about it you know but not everybody has that opportunity right so i mean there's there's a lot of inequities that kind of pull out of this so yeah that's uh that's it's not just the u.s it's yeah just, right it's yeah. not just the u.s right um yeah yeah that's... i think it's a lot about when you go back to the very first question is what is a school teaching students or like what is the role of the school mm -hmm. i think something that's really really lacking is responsibility mm. like are you raising are you helping to build and raise not that i think it's the school's job to raise children but are you raising responsible citizens? So when a student, when they get a mark, it's their, like, take responsibility for what just happened. And whether it's positive or negative, go and talk to the teacher. You don't go home and cry to mom and mom calls the school and says, well, this teacher did this to my student. The student needs to say, hey, this is my work in my classroom, in my day. So I'm going to go and talk to my teacher and figure out what happened and you start a dialogue. So it's like building self-awareness and building um, um, kind of determination and, and confidence younger. That's what I hear. And I also hear kind of speckled in there a little Sir Ken Robinson, right? Like how do you how do you not crush creativity? Like your, your, your son is like, yeah, you know, until there was a mark here, it was like, yeah, I'm gonna go in. I was curious and then all of a sudden, wow, wait, my friend got confetti. I didn't get confetti. Now, now my creativity starts to narrow down into why did I not get confetti when maybe your son has all, well, I know everybody has a bunch of different creative ideas and such. How do we, so it's kind of a, a big area in there. I don't know. 
that's that's <laughs> that, that to me is like the big question um so kind of coming along with that so um this is kind of a big question and i'm gonna i'm gonna dump it on you Brittany, and see what you think you know after your experiences um as an educator uh, what what are what are some of the things that you would change or or a process to connect, you know, an individual's learning moments, even in subjects, to their reality? Like how, how what what would maybe some of the processes that you would or a process that you would say, you know, I would try this. Mm -hmm. I had always wished there was more opportunity for field trips. Now field trips sound so like yeah. <laughs> it sounds very childish, but. I think one of the best, and maybe it's my own personal like learning style, but one of the best ways to really learn is to get out there and see it or touch it, do it, experience it yourself. So, and this is why I like the, the, the idea of world learning. So like, for example, I live in Bologna and Bologna is, we have so many museums and it's, it's just so, it, it's really historically rich. So why is not every, like every day it should just be like in the streets, like in a museum, not that you have to be like in the museum taking a, a guided tour, but it's like, okay, we just read about this in a textbook. Now let's go and actually look at it yeah. now. Like, why don't I want to learn more? So instead of having the teacher go in and say like, okay, I, I went on Google and figured this out and found these resources and I brought them into the classroom. Why not be like, okay, what questions did you have from this? And then show the students how they can go and find more information and then actually take them to go get and gather that information and then bring it back and talk about it. So I had always wished there was more chances for that, especially with geography. It's kind of right. I mean, you are in Italy. It's probably probably rich with history. I'm just guessing. I don't know. I read right. that in a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, that for me, that's a cop out. But I think it can be applied in lots of situations. Sure. And I think we get really hung up on this idea of standardized education. So having like a national curriculum, we need to cover these topics. It's like, who who said that? Like yeah, who decided yeah. that? Why don't we see like what lights people up and then be able to be flexible with what we have planned? It's like you have a rough outline of what you want to cover, but then within each of those categories, you allow the students to bring their own ideas. And then if they're excited about what they're doing, they'll probably learn more from it instead of me telling you, this is what you need to learn. Not only do you need to learn it, you need to learn it from my perspective and my words and be able to tell it back to me. It's like, no, how about like I present something to you, you give me your feedback and based on your feedback, we'll create something together. And me as a guide, I'll guide you through that process so that you will have a result from it instead of just leading down like a black road completely blind not knowing what you're doing it's so interesting because that is exactly what we have been talking about yeah. um on the series and just in and field trips is like you know just putting it in a different way than than maybe we've already worded it on this series but it is that that rich connection to to even like the physical location of where you're at and just like having some some agency or some like rootedness in the region the place that you're in whether it's you know rich uh historical italy or here in the states like there's still so much you could learn just in your physical location of wherever that school is and i love that idea of world learning and just this this openness to connect learning to wherever you are or to the to the wider world if you want to cast that net and just get kids excited about beyond the the walls of the room that they're in so it's so so needed it's a lot of there's a lot of opportunities in there i mean there's then you have to start thinking of processes and how do we do that in in those things that is that's an amazing i i my next question was like if you could design your own educational system but i, I think you kind of went through that britta like it would be something that is like a flowing through the community, through the area. I mean, there really would be maybe a place to gather. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's also, I mean, you know, so much room for being out in the community in a region, um, even if there is funding and availability to to travel even extensively beyond that. Um, 
Is that is there anything else you would add to an educational system of the future with that kind of description? Yeah, ideally, I mean, it all comes down to like having lack of personnel and resources, right? And finances, usually that's always the problem. Because ideally, right, this like you would want small, small groups, right? So it's easy to move around, right? If you're going to go on a field trip, you don't need to get a huge, massive bus to ship over 40 people. You know, it's like you can climb into like a little van, 12 to 15 people. Um, You can do it's much more one on one, much more dialogue, much more conversation. But I think a lot of it is just having the variety. And I mean, this is going to open up a whole other can of worms, but especially (laughs) And maybe you said you have boys as well, right? You have a girl. I have a boy and a girl, yeah. Um, And I think this is quite generic across the board. Like, boys can't sit still. Like, my son cannot sit still for more than, like, five minutes. And there's this expectation that you're six, you know, but all throughout, like, they're, you know, really, when when can you sit still? And I think generally we can agree that girls can do this much better. They can sit still and listen and like they, they can like, they can give your attention much, much better than boys can at a younger age. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and at an older age, I'll just be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Forever. Yeah. Uh, but he just wants to play. And I think it would be really beautiful if you could, I don't think we associate play with learning. Yeah. Maybe when you're in preschool, like in daycare, they're like, play and learn and grow. And you're like, I'm playing with sand and I'm doing sensory activities and I'm quote unquote growing. It's like, but as soon as you're put into a classroom, it's like, nope, like playtime is recess. That's when you go out and we're not going to learn. Like learning is when you're seated, like seated in a desk, looking at the teacher, listening to the teacher and like trying to copy down from whiteboard as fast as you can. And like... (laughs) in the most important developmental years of a child, they can't do that. Mm -hmm. It's like, but what if you could like get out of the classroom, be in a full immersion experience, like sensory auditory and you're playing like you're, I don't play in the sense, not like a jungle gym, but you are having fun Mm -hmm. and it's that you move your body and you, you don't have to sit still. You can stand up. It's not like, this is why I think like small groups as well. You couldn't do this with 30 students, which is just classroom size is too large. But if you had 10 and some kid needs to like stand up and walk around, like I just be like, go outside. Just like leave the classroom. Like I get like you're fidgety, you're moving, like you just can't sit still. So just go take a walk and then come back. Or I'd always be like, you know what? I'll put two chairs out front of the classroom. If you can't be quiet, just go sit down in front of the classroom, chit chat all you want, and then come back in. Of course, they're like, oh, well, I'm not going to do that. But it's like sometimes that, like, there's this expectation that all our bodies are the same and we can all pay attention for the same amount of time. We can all <laughs> learn under the same conditions. And it's like, that's just not the way. I was just picturing, like, Mrs. Frizzle's Magic School Bus classroom. <laughs> that is what we like, need, that is obviously. Future. Yeah. That's right. Uh, the kids love that book. I mean, I think it was because it was like the imagination <clears throat> of actually learning was happening like the way they wanted it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, also it's funny because what I'm hearing you say is, and I'm kind of hearing like, you know, what companies do and obviously entrepreneurs do that you have now like are in that learning process, which is, no, it's fun, um, is the sandbox, right? So I've, I've done a lot of corporate trainings and different things like that. And we get back into design thinking and UX design and, and the sandbox. And we're using terms of what we should have been doing the entire time um, through our educational journey. Um, and then how do we, you know, how do we connect those two? It's almost like we regress through our high school, maybe even to some of our collegiate or university years. And then we come out and everybody's like, well, why can't this person do something, you know, without me kind of guiding them <laughs> or, you know, and I'm generalizing, of course, there, there are programs and such out there that we're going to dig into later in the series. But that's a, that's what I see is like the sandbox. Um, some of my best colleagues that I've worked with with in business and especially around education is whiteboarding sessions where we just walk all around the room. There was whiteboard all over the place. No one was really taking notes, but we were just 
you know, having conversations, there's action moving around, there was food, there was all kinds of stuff. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, I, yeah, a lot of food for thought. I'll just keep the, keep the food thing going there. Um, Britta, if you want, what are you, where are you at right now? And, and if, if people can uh, connect with maybe your business or, or, you know, what you are doing now, um, what is that like? And, and, you know, if you want to give kind of a prop of, of, you know, entrepreneurship is tough. Um, what are, what are the, the goods and services and things that, that you're offering now? And, and, uh, how does that kind of relate to your educational path? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I no longer teach rambunctious Italian high school students. <laughs> I now am a LinkedIn educator, so I help business owners, owners utilize and leverage LinkedIn so that they can really harness the power of networking and relationship building from such a powerful net platform out there. So uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm also on Instagram. If you want to learn how to use LinkedIn for your business or even for your own personal goals, if you have like a you know, passion project or side hustle, or maybe even just want to like change jobs because, you know, you need to change your sandbox, <laughs> get out of the sandbox, right. change your playground, go somewhere else. <laughs> I can help you do that. And so I think Allie, did we meet on LinkedIn? Yeah, we See? did. There you go. Right. I, I mean, it is yeah. where innovative kind of ideas, and I don't want to just pigeonhole educators there, but there are amazing educators there too. So Britta, I want to thank you so much uh, for, for hanging out with us today. It, it's an amazing conversation. You opened the world up a little bit, but we also saw that there are missed opportunities across the world. Um, wow, we got a lot to unpack, Allie. We have to, we have to keep, uh, keep the conversation uh, going here. Um, but thank you so much, Britta, for, for sharing your experiences, uh, good and difficult ones, um, because uh, these conversations are really helping us uh, pull down some silos in education, um, connecting uh, students to their academia and reality, and you know, basically starting with them first. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. All right, Until Allie. Yeah. The next, the next time, who knows where in the world I'll be? Our <laughs> guests will be. It's going to be a great series, and it's just getting started. <laughs> I like is where in the world is Allie? We'll end there. Until next time, thank you all for listening to Disrupt Education Podcast. We appreciate you guys. Oh,